At Amgen, our mission is to serve patients. As a biotechnology pioneer since 1980, Amgen was one of the first companies to realize the promise of this new science by bringing safe and effective novel therapeutics from lab to manufacturing plant to patient. Amgen therapeutics have changed the practice of medicine, helping millions of people around the world in the fight against cancer, kidney disease, rheumatoid arthritis, and other serious illnesses. With a deep and broad pipeline of potential new medicines, Amgen remains committed to moving science forward to dramatically improve people's lives. To learn more about our pioneering science, please visit our website at amgen.com. Amgen, where pioneering science delivers vital medicines. You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Innovations in Medicine, enhancing the medical community's knowledge of science and biotechnology. Innovations in Medicine is sponsored by Amgen, where pioneering science delivers vital medicines. For more information about Amgen, visit www.amgen.com. For years, researchers have known how to move a single gene into a bacterium. That's the process that gave us human growth hormone, insulin, and many other biotechnology drugs. But what about the notion of transferring more than one gene into a bacterium? What about taking an entire genome and putting it in another bacterium? Could that possibly work? Welcome to Innovations in Medicine. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn, and our guest today has proven that that can work. For the first time, he and his colleagues have moved an entire genome from one bacterium to another. This genome transplant is a key step toward the creation of synthetic life forms, something we'll hear more about in just a minute. Dr. J. Craig Venter is the closest thing to a rock star that biotechnology has produced. He developed some of the key techniques for decoding the genomes of bacteria, and his private effort to sequence the human genome raced the government to a tie in 2000. And the techniques he developed have become the standard method of sequencing genomes. Formerly with the biotechnology company Solera, Dr. Venter is now head of the not-for-profit J. Craig Venter Institute in Maryland and La Jolla, California, and the founder and chairman of the biotech company Synthetic Genomics, which aims to create genetically altered bacteria that can supply fuel and clean up the environment. Welcome to the program, Dr. Venter. Pleased to be with you. Now, many people are working to transfer single genes into bacteria, and they've done it for a variety of reasons. Why did you decide to go beyond that? We started our work uh, when we sequenced the first two genomes in 1995, and there was a big difference in the number of genes between Haemophilus influenzae and Mycoplasma genitalium. The first two genomes were which organisms? The first one was Haemophilus. that causes ear infections in children and uh, meningitis. The second one was Mycoplasma genitalium, which is the smallest uh, organism's genome to be decoded for a self-replicating organism. And that was 1995? 1995. And, and we started asking questions then about how many genes are necessary for life. Could there be a minimal genes that we could define? And through a series of experiments trying to knock out one gene at a time, we decided the only way to try and answer these questions was to try and make a synthetic uh, chromosome because you can only get information about knocking out one gene and then looking at the consequences. We can't sequentially knock out 
one or two hundred genes. We just don't have enough selectable markers uh, that work for cloning. So the minimal genome idea is basically the the smallest possible set of genes that can make a living thing. That's right. And that's just to understand basic cellular life. And that was the origin of all of this work. But as we've gotten into it over the uh, past decade or so, We've also realized that if we had the ability to synthesize a chromosome and get it booted up in a cell to drive a new type of life form, that there would be a large number of interesting applications for that work. So we're at the earliest stages of this, and we have programs working in parallel with my colleagues Ham Smith and Clyde Hutchison trying to make a synthetic chromosome. And at the same time, another team was working on the question of what would we do if we had a synthetic chromosome? How do you get it booted up? How do you get it into a cell that's self-replicating? In other words, you have a synthetic chromosome with with this basic set of genes that should be enough to make a living thing, but you've got to get it into a cell and get it, when you say booting it up, get it into a cell and get get it going, give it the environment to work, I guess, is the way to put it. That's a great description. And so we're still working on the synthetic chromosome but we had to test a system to see if we could transfer a chromosome from one cell to another because it's never been effectively done and and totally uh, changed the basic operating system of a cell. And this is also a potentially important thing in in nature. When we sequenced the cholera genome in the mid-'90s, we found it actually had two different chromosomes, one that originated from two different species, and we reasoned that those may happen by cell fusion or some other mechanism. So... Acquiring chromosomes is something that clearly does happen in nature, even if we don't understand exactly how that happens. So we knew it was theoretically possible, but we really had to demonstrate the laboratory techniques for doing this. As one of our reviewers commented when we published a paper in Science on this, was that this is something that's very simple in concept, very difficult in execution. It's another one of those very clever, interesting experiments where you know that nature's beat you to punch. That's, that's often the way it works, isn't it? Well, that's basically what we do in science is learn from nature and see if we can mimic it in intelligent ways. Now, tell us a little bit about the experiment. What bugs did you use and how did you do this? Well, the, the main components were purifying a chromosome from one cell. In purifying it, we wanted to make sure that it was completely free of the cytoplasm or cellular proteins from that cell, because if we're making a synthetic chromosome, all we'll have is the pure DNA, and if there were some protein factor or factors involved, uh, that would be very hard to replicate. So there are no clear-cut mechanisms out there for purifying chromosomes, because as you get to large pieces of DNA, it's very brittle. So we had to develop all new techniques to isolate the chromosomes, move them around, make sure they're pure, handle them in the laboratory. And we do all that in in a gel matrix so we don't actually pipe in the chromosomes uh, themselves. We use electrophoresis and other techniques for moving the the chromosomes around. When you say gel matrix, I'm picturing something like a Petri dish. Is that right or is it something else? No, it's more like the kinds of gels that are used for analyzing DNA size, structure, purity, etc. The same kind of agarose blocks. So once we had the ability to do that, then the next question was, how do you get it into a cell? Was this a mycoplasma DNA that you used for this, or what did you use for this experiment? We use a couple of different mycoplasmas, ones that are very fast-growing and ones that have been somewhat well-characterized in the laboratory and ones that our team had a lot of experience with. So 
we started with the chromosome was isolated from a mycoplasma mycoides, went into and we put it in another mycoplasma species that is closely related, probably as close as any two mammals are to each other genetically, but clearly not identical. And so there's lots of ways to get DNA into cells by making them leaky and driving it in. And so we were able to get the chromosome into the cells, and then the big question is what would happen? Now, the cells that received the transplant, did you get their chromosomes out before you did this? No, that's a very important question. Our initial thinking is we would need to do that and using some kind of a ghost cell. But I think it was Ham Smith who came up with the idea that maybe we don't have to remove the chromosome from the target cell that it might just segregate either by the various cell divisions or by other mechanisms. And we think there's a couple of unique things possibly going on here. Let me stop you for just a minute to remind our listeners that they are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. We're talking to Dr. J. Craig Venter. Okay, so there were various things that might happen. What did happen? We're only able to detect these cells once they've gone through sufficient cell divisions to have a colony that's visible on these plates. And any time we isolated a colony, we were surprised to find only the mycoplasma mycoides uh, genome in the cells. So the parent chromosome had been eliminated. I want to add and, and remind people we put a antibiotic selectable marker in the mycoides chromosome so we can use standard molecular biology techniques and select for cells that have that chromosome. It doesn't have to be only We actually expected to see some chimeric cells with both chromosomes, but thus far the parent chromosome seems to be eliminated in in every case, and all we have is the mycoides uh, chromosome. The Capricolum chromosome uh, was totally absent, and all we had was the one that we transplanted in. So where did it go? Well, it either segregated with the first early cell divisions, but the other possibility is the Capricolum doesn't have any restriction enzymes, the enzymes that chew up DNA. But the mycoides chromosome that we transplanted codes for a restriction enzyme, and we think possibly that was expressed right away and basically chewed up the chromosome that was in the cell. Just to remind people, the bacteria developed defense mechanisms, and maybe the study shows why they need them, because if you take on foreign DNA, it can completely take over your life, and you become that species, is what happened here. So... Bacterial cells have developed restriction enzymes that chew up foreign DNA. It's sort of their equivalent of the immune system. Now, this sounds very interesting to me. It's just a very interesting story. Since you've published it, there have been some comments or some people saying, you know, a very important, you know, advance, and others saying, well, a technical feat, but maybe not such an important advance. What is your feeling about this? How, how important is it and what does it mean? Well, we don't want to overplay it, but it's an essential step in what we're doing in the approach we're taking to synthetic genomics. And as I indicated, it also gives some hints about what may happen in nature. I mean, I think it's important to cover that once we put the chromosome in the cell and the Capricolum chromosome was eliminated, all the characteristics of the cell changed over to that dictated by the mycoides chromosome. We literally changed one species into another by replacing its chromosome. And while that may not surprise most people. Actually being able to do that and replicate it in the lab, I think, is a very important achievement. 
but the most important thing is is that it enables the next stage that we're trying to do. Now we know that if we have a synthetic chromosome, for example, if we bathe a synthetic mycoides chromosome in the laboratory, there's zero doubt in my mind that we'd be able to just repeat these experiments with the synthetic chromosome and have an artificial chromosome booting up the cell in the same way. And I think at least theoretically that's a barrier that was critical to be crossed to enable the field of synthetic genomics, at least the way we're approaching it. Well, thanks. That's about all the time we have. We've been talking about the creation of new life forms and synthetic chromosomes with Dr. J. Craig Venter, head of the not-for-profit J. Craig Venter Institute and founder and chairman of the biotech company Synthetic Genomics. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Venter. You're welcome. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. We would like to hear from you. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions about what you would like to hear on Innovations in Medicine, send us an email. The address is innovations at reachmd.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Innovations in Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Innovations in Medicine is sponsored by Amgen, where pioneering science delivers vital medicines. <laughs>